Okay, so today's episode is going to be talking about identity, and that's pretty much been something that has been targeted at my generation at least. Pretty much people want to know who they are, where they belong, I guess why they're here or anything like that. So I just kind of wanted to go ahead and just talk to you about that and see uh, what you what you thought about uh, this topic and why that's something that it seems like my generation really struggles with uh, a lot. I think that it's not just your generation. I think it's every generation and to a lesser or greater extent, everybody actually uh, gets down to the same basic uh, uh, philosophical questions. Who am I? What am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? All that. Uh, the big questions yeah. about, about life and living and, and about existence. And, um, and we see that people are taking, you know, identity is one of these things you keep hearing uh, the usage of identity in terms of like uh, identity politics, gender identity, everything is, is seems to be um, tagged either in front of or, or behind or with uh, identity in some, uh, to some degree and uh, for various purposes. Um, but, in order to understand identity, I think the truth is you have to basically, and this always goes back to God's word, you need a context. You need a context for being. And divorced from that, you're basically going to be uh, tossed about with every social philosophy, every viewpoint that you can possibly imagine. Uh, and more because um, as we've talked before because mankind has fallen and because Satan is the prince of this world and through fallen corrupt man he actually controls a great deal of basically ancient and modern societies and cultures how people think what people believe, how people are expected to behave, all of these uh, different things. He has a great deal of influence to, in this, and he blinds the mind as a cosmocrator to the truth. But when we talked about some weeks ago Ephesians and the armor of God, that belt is the belt of truth. It's reality, and there is no real understanding of identity the reality of who you are what you are why you are apart from the truth apart from reality and that reality being God it's impossible um, and that's the thing that that people need to really understand here and people it's like well how do you, how do you understand that as creator God has made everything the universe the planet we reside on, uh, every animal that flies in the air, swims in the seas, or crawls on the earth. And he's also created mankind. And 
to somehow think that we can understand who we are apart from the one who created us, you, you might as well realize you don't have any moorings, any anchor to true reality unless you realize that the only one who can truly define you, who can define me, is the one who created us in the first place. And what happens is we're born into a world where the first thing we do is we define ourselves by who we were born to. And so when people are born, it's like, well, I am the son of this man. I am the son of this woman or the, you know, for the girls out there, the daughter of this man, the daughter of this woman. And so immediately you start identifying yourself with the person or persons to whom you were born. When you lack one of those people in your life, you don't know who your father is or you lack the presence of that person in your life, or perhaps you were given up for adoption and you don't know who your biologicals were, and maybe you were adopted by a family, or maybe you went through foster care. And at this point, you're divorced from that basic biological identification and you, because at that point, when you have what was generally considered the norm uh, generations ago, you would immediately identify yourself with your parents, with your siblings. Um, the frequency in divorces and remarriage has messed with that dynamic as well because you have families, there's his, hers, and ours. Yeah. You know, and then you have stepbrothers and stepsisters, stepmothers and fathers. You have all of these different dynamics. And it which starts getting complicated. It starts getting complicated. For many people, it gets confusing. Yeah. It's like, I'm not sure who I belong with, who I belong to, where I belong, and who I should identify with because everything in my life is fluid. Yeah. It. The only thing that doesn't change is the fact that everything changes. And because of that, there's a lot of confusion about many times who people are. As you know, I have a real passion for family history. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is a real benefit, and I noticed that part of the popularity of uh, people doing family history search online and in libraries and such is people want to know who they are in the context of where do I come from? Who is my family? And, and not just the immediate family, but going on generations back. And one of the things that you will find as you do family history research is as you start realizing, it's like we connect to everybody. I, I do research and I find out, well, you know, these are my parents. These are my parents' siblings. I know who my aunts and uncles were. Therefore, I know who my cousins are, and I know who their children are. Then I go back to my grandparents, their brothers and sisters, their children. And then I figure out who are my second cousins, my third cousins, my fourth. And you keep going back, and this, as, the, as you basically take these generations back and you widen them and then trace them to the present day, you realize how truly connected you really are to so many people, many of whom you have never even met. 
And in a way, I think that really is a good thing because it gives people context. That's why you see it, and it's such an important thing that you see it in both the Old and New Testaments. I know people tend to tune out when you hit the begats, yeah. okay? But you go through the, the whole family. The begats are there for a purpose, and then you get to. Um, I want to say it's Chronicles. There is a ridiculous genealogy that goes on there where, where you're, and you know, and this is how you start figuring. But when you start figuring out, I, uh, I seem to recall a study years ago where somebody was explaining how it turns out that David is related to Nathan the prophet. Really? Which is a really interesting thing that they're like cousins. And so what you have is a situation that when, King David fell into sin with Bathsheba, committed adultery, plotted the uh, death of her husband, Uriah the Hittite, and it fell to a prophet to go to David and basically call him on it. Uh, God tabbed a relative. And it's like, because you know what? Many times people will come to you but they've got the wrong attitude. But when it's your family, if you have a functional family, a family member coming to you, it's not like people are attacking you. They can no. tell you, listen, you're out of line. Yeah. You, you, don't, you are better than this. This is not who you are. This is not who God meant for you to be. This is what you're doing. You need to, you need to, to change sense. this. This yeah. is wrong. And Nathan was able to do that. And he, but he knew of an approach that would work with David too. He set him up mm-hmm. with a story. Let me tell you what I heard about. And it's like, this is the situation. And what do you think should be done? Oh, that guy ought to be put to death. Yeah. And it's like, you're the guy. And then David's You're like, well, the guy. And it's not like, that bad. He's misunderstood. <laughs> Let me explain. It's like, well, maybe I should have cut him a little more slack. <laughs> but, uh, and we laugh about that. But, uh, you know, at that point. David knew. David knew. Yeah. Nathan had him dead to rights. But God picked the right person because he could receive from Nathan a word that he might not have been able to receive from anybody else. That's part of, you know, that connectedness. And, you know, it's amazing that you will treat family many times if, again, I realize we live in a very dysfunctional world now where these normal paradigms are crumbling quickly. Yeah. Uh, we, and we do not treat our families as we should. We don't treat spouses as we should, parents as we should, our no. children, our families, our neighbors, anybody as we should. Growing up, I always heard like weird stuff like other families were doing. Like, I don't know. There's just a bunch of stuff that happens that I'm like, I don't see why you would do that or treat them the way you're treating them. Exactly. Of course, sometimes it's not just the parents being jerks to kids. Sometimes the kids rightfully earn some stuff, but it's almost like they can't come together at the end of the day. There's plenty of sin and corruption to keep the, uh, the grist mill of, of, of wounding and wrongdoing uh, greased yeah, uh, very, very easily. But when you look at this, you, you see this thing. 
one of the things I've learned from doing family history is like, if we truly realized how connected we were to so many people, we would be more prone to treat people better. Yeah. Um, in, in the way that because, you know, you, you realize how many people you truly connect with mm-hmm. and that you're part of a larger context. And the Bible really teaches us, us about that. That's why at some point in time, we all basically have this longing for a family to which we belong. And in the body of Christ, we need to understand that part of what Christ did on the cross was to create a family. Yeah. And through adoption to take in people who basically didn't have a relationship with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the lie. No man comes to the Father except by me. And he exclusively said, I am the, I'm the gate to the sheepfold. And you want to get to my father, you've got to come through me. But once you come through me, you receive what is referred to basically by Paul as the spirit of adoption, by which we call cry Abba Father. Mm-hmm. And we become connected to a greater family. This is how the church, the body of Christ, should operate. However, sadly, most of the time we act like the most dysfunctional family on the face of the earth. Yeah. And we are every bit as guilty in the body of Christ of those woundings and those wrongings and those treating people badly who actually are spiritually are relatives, family, yeah. as the people of this world are in treating their actual blood relations. And so, um, that's why many times that you see people in churches who were in churches, the people I call used to, used to drive the church van, used to teach Sunday school, used to lead worship, used to preach, used to teach, etc. And they're the used and they're wounded and they're out there. They still love God and they've got this relationship with God, but they've been smoked by the church so badly. They don't want anything to do with church folks. And that's really unfortunate because that's never how it should have ever been. No, but the artificial constructs of churches, the hierarchies, the politics, the money, the nonsense, um, basically breed yeah. these the these woundings, and so. But the truth of the matter is, we start with this identification with our families, both immediate and extended. Mm-hmm. And when we become Christians, we realize we become part of a greater family. And that provides us with an identity. Because at the end of the day, it's all about who's your daddy. <laughs> and that's the thing about it. If you look, every human being who has ever walked the face of the earth is basically identified. Their identity rests in their relationship to God or their lack of one. Everyone is defined by their relationship to their creator father. Even Christ in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
See, even Christ, when he walked the earth, is, is identified, his identity is within the context of his relationship with his Father, who is, you know, the Almighty. And so all of us, and interestingly enough, because we talk about the begats. Yeah. If you go back, there are two genealogies of Christ in the New Testament, one in Matthew and one in Luke. And basically, the one goes back basically, uh, right off the top of my head, I believe it's back to Abram. But the other one traces him all the way back to Adam. Yeah. And it, and it does this, and it's like he's the son of this one, the son of that one, the son of this one, the son of that one, the son of this one. Until you get back to the Adam, and it says, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. Mm-hmm. Adam is expressly referred to as the son of God. Yeah. Whoever thinks about that. That's not something we you hear much about. No. Occasionally you'll hear a teaching about Christ being the second Adam. But... But... He is the only begotten son. The virgin birth, the, the miracle, uh, this is, is the only begotten son. In, in it, there will never be another one like this. Yeah. But there was another son of God back in the garden that was mm-hmm. formed out of the dust of the ground, and God breathed life into, and he became a living soul. And from whom God separated then a helpmeet, a female, because the first word, the word for man in the Hebrew is Adam or Adam. Hmm. Okay, it's it's the formal name of the first man, but it's also the word for man. So Adam kind or mankind is who we are, and we need to understand that there's a context there that gives us identity. And in this, this is extraordinarily important. Then Eve, who at that point was originally not called Eve, she was the womb man or woman. Huh. Okay. And it was only after the fall when God's talking about, she becomes Eve, which means the mother of all living. Hmm. Okay. So when we get back to that, even Christ is traced back. There's this interesting deal. His identity hinges on two things. First of all, he's the son of God. Yeah. But he's also the son of man. He's the son of God, yet he's also the son of Adam. (laughs) And so he refers to himself as the son of man. And then he's also the son of God. And so you realize there's this identity. Yeah. And so he understands this about himself. This is an understanding that we need if we're going to understand our identities as well. First of all, we were always meant to be what Adam was before he fell, the son of God, a son or a daughter of God. This is who you were meant to be. And part of what's going on that creates a identity crisis is the fact that we are taught Darwinian evolution. Mm-hmm. And in Darwinian evolution, we are not an extraordinary creation. We're just an accident. We are, first of all, an accident, a mathematical improbability that comes along and just is. 
And we are not even particularly unique in Darwinian thought because we're just another species of animal. And that's the thing. Darwinian evolution defines us as just another animal. That's more highly, sad. exactly, more highly evolved, more adaptive. You know, we may be the highest on the food chain, but the, but the end of the day, one. we're just, you know, we're no different than the cat or the, the dog or the, or the, exactly, the, the beast of the field. We're no different than any dumb animal in Darwinian thought. Okay. Well, bum me out. Exactly. And you know, the problem is people don't realize that as they take in this philosophy, yeah, that it prompts you to live down to it. Hmm. How many people are living down to the notion that at the end of the day, they're just another animal and they're controlled by animal urges and instinct and this. It's like, you know what? I just, I do this because, hey, uh, it's, it's just, just who, how I am. Yeah, I mean, hey, I, I I'm not faithful, but I'm just because I'm just another animal, you know. I'll 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 mess with and, and, and you know exactly. I'll do this because well, I'm just I'm, I'm just, just indulging. I'm exactly. These are just my and then and then it becomes a thing where at that point, what happens is because you think of yourself as an animal. Yeah. There is no fixed standard of good and evil. Everything is about my instincts or my feelings hmm. it's about how i feel yeah it's about how does this work for me and you get into what's called moral relativism where there's no good or the no evil everything is is good if it's good for me and it's bad if it's bad for me and I should be allowed to express my feelings and go with my desires. And then, of course, there's always the little provision. As long as I'm not hurting anybody else, you know. Yeah. And then, and and it's like, but then it, it there's always the rationalization when you are hurting somebody else because most of these activities do harm other people. Yeah. But it becomes a thing where ultimately it's about hedonism and self indulgence, and all of the things that come as a result of the fall. And so you have that situation. Is that a situation to do what, do what you will or something? Uh, the it's your thing, do what you want to do mentality. Yeah. Um, you know, the, that doesn't sound too, like, okay, all that's being thrown out. But it, when you were talking about that, all I could think about was like Aleister Crowley and his whole exactly. starting it up being like the Satanic Bible. I think we're just as do what thou wilt. Precisely. That's I pretty mean, much it. Exactly. Once you get into the fallen state and you lose... And you lose the relationship. Yeah. When you cease being a son, when you cease being a daughter, when you cease being the child of God, when you are divorced from your creator, your father. Mm -hmm. And and that's the thing. If you look at Christ, he's constantly referring to my father. I don't do anything except what I see my father do. My father has sent me. If you receive me, you have received my father. You know, and he's constantly defining himself by his relationship with his father, God. And ultimately, our, our, who we are, our identity, if you never enter into a relationship with the Almighty through Jesus Christ, you will never know who you really are. 
in the um, book of Revelation, it talks about that for those who are believers, they will receive of God a white rock. And on this white rock will be a name that is only known to them and God. Hmm. Because only he who truly created you knows who you really are and who you were ever meant to be. It's a thing that's just between you and God. He's the only one who truly knows you. And therefore, the only one who can ever truly show you who you are. And for those who believe in Christ, there's coming a day in which we will get the full revelation of who it is we always were meant to be and will have become on that day. And that's why when I talked about in, on previous uh, podcasts, the importance of the ability to name. When God gave Adam in the garden the authority to name the animals, they were subject to him so he could name them. And so when parents have children, they have the prerogative of naming that child because that's their child. They have authority over that child. They make that child and therefore they can name that child. And why there's such an emphasis nowadays on labeling it, on labeling somebody, because once you can attach a name or a label to somebody or some group, then you can uh, then create the perception you have authority over them hmm. and you can control them. That's about, but people who reject the labels yeah. are the most dangerous people in the world. Because it doesn't matter what you call me, because you can't define me. You're not my daddy. Hmm. And that's the whole thing. Only my daddy knows who I really am. Yeah. And only he can tell me. And that's why you saw God renaming people. Abram yeah. becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. See? See, I always wondered why that was a thing in the Bible. Cause you know, he's just walking around Abram and then it's like Abraham. And then it's like, uh, then she turns into Sarah and didn't even, that even happened in the, in the new Testament where people get renamed. Simon, you are now Peter yeah. a rock. And upon this rock, you know, and, and, and indeed you, you see that renaming Saul yeah. becomes Paul. Yeah. See, that one made sense to me because it was like such a dramatic. I don't know why I always understood. I was like, yeah, that's just what happens. But it was like that was such a dramatic change. And it was so important that Mary and naming is so important Yeah. because defining people. You look at Jacob. Jacob is a schemer. The name basically means a schemer and a scammer. Yeah. Whereas Israel is a prince who has power with God. Hmm. Okay, there's a drastic difference yeah. in Jacob and how that defines him and Israel and it, how that defines him. Yeah. And then you look and it's like you, you look at, at the difference in, in how the names in the Old and New Testament changing actually what they mean and what they're changed to and how it has to do with many times their prophetic destiny. But it was so important that God expressly made sure when he sent angels and all this, it's like his name will be Jesus or Yeshua. Yeah. And the angel was very 
Um, he's like, write it down. It, it, yeah, the very the angel was very uh, emphatic. Yeah. Uh, in when he appeared in the temple, his name will be John. You know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be after you or after any of your family. He's not going to be a junior. Zachariah. It's it's like. And and when and he can't say nothing until the time comes for his circumcision, and everybody expects him to be named after his father or some other male relative, and yeah. all this. And and then for the first time in nine months, he opens his mouth. His name is John. It's I like bet you. it's like no, I I know yeah. what happens when I when I don't do right. Yeah, <laughs> I like talking. <laughs> I could see him. The kids born, and they're like, oh, you're. Child's just bored. What should we name him? You just hear John. It's John, and they're like, "Oh, <laughs> we will name him John." He's like, "Please." <laughs> so, so I've had so much to say. So, and and let's be perfectly honest. How many times do people around us then define us? Oh yeah, and and not only with labels but with attitudes. The people you hang out with. Exactly. You are judged by the company you keep. And many times they influence you. Let's be perfectly honest. How many times do people use things like, uh, uh, you ever hear this? Uh, somebody's forgot where they, where they came from. Oh, yeah. In the South. Somebody's putting like on airs. Oh, it's a deal. Yeah. It's like somebody's putting on airs. Somebody forgot where they came from uh-huh. and all this. And it's like, no. It's not that they've forgotten where they come from. It's just they have a sense, a sense of where they want to go. Ooh. And I like see, that. that's, that's the problem that people who have no sense of destiny, mm. who have no sense of their future, of, of their calling, of, of what God is willing and ready and able to do in their life, will invariably run up against those who say, you know what? You're getting a little too too uppity there, kid. You need to, to tone yourself down. In short, is this not the son of the carpenter? Is not his mother and his brothers uh, uh, among us? Who does, can, who does this guy think he is? What good can come from Nazareth? Exactly. You're defined from where you're at, who your family is, your community, all of these things. Your nationality. Oh, yeah. Oh, nationality is a big deal. You know, who, and it's like, uh, because we get into all this ethnicity thing now, because everybody, you know, and let's be perfectly honest. And this is probably where I do a blanket offend. So I'll go get okay. the disclaimer. When you went through that, I had a bunch of already I had <laughs> thoughts. I was like, oh, this is- everybody, everybody is touting their ethnic, um, well, people are talking about things like ethnic diversity, and it's such a thing because. People come from different cultural backgrounds and such, yeah. different nationalities. They move and they We're immigrate all from and all one that. Place. We're from different areas. You know, uh, when we get back to the to the garden, yeah, we all connect. But people actually have different because of different nationalities, different cultures, yeah, different experiences, and some of them celebrate that. And there is in those things many times things that are worth celebrating. Yeah. At the end of the day, however, we need to remember that it's all fallen. Yeah. And that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And all of these things that we are using yeah, as arguments that we're better than this person or because that person is this. It's like, look, 
you know, I'm an American by birth. I was born in the United States of America. My parents were citizens. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I am a, a natural uh, a born American citizen. That does not mean that I want everybody on the planet to become an American. Exactly. I don't want Germans to become Americans. Yeah. I don't want, you know... Uh, well, because everybody has their place. Because, and, and the thing about it is, everybody has their place, and God divided us for that reason. Yeah. Go back to Babel. Yeah. Um, we're really dangerous and stupid when we have are too much together and too much alike. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the infinite potential to basically be dumb. Yeah. And God realized that. And because the one thing that truly unites us is our fallen state from birth, then we real need to realize that the more we come together, the more potential that that fallen state has to express itself. Yeah. And to truly manifest the evil and corrupt nature of all mankind. And that's why God had to basically go and smite the, the, uh, the ancient world so that they could not understand each other and they spread out yeah. over the face of the earth because they couldn't communicate. And from this and the various families of the earth come the various uh, ethnicities and nations that we know today. And so when we understand these things, it's like we understand that God, for our own good, separated us to an extent so that as a unified whole, we would not destroy ourselves. Because we were on the ver- we would have been on the verge of that. We were on the verge of remarkable stupid. Oh, yeah. Um, that's why this whole one world movement, globalist, jazz, it's like, no, we, we really need, we actually need to recognize yeah. that God separated us for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's not so we can afflict each other. No. It's not so we can look down at each other. It's not so we can persecute each other. We need to show the love and respect that everybody deserves because that's what Christ taught. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah. And yet... We know that because we are common, uh, fallen and corrupt, we too often do not do that individually, and we certainly are really bad at doing it collectively. Oh, yeah. And so that's a thing. When we identify ourselves, we realize, first of all, we are not animals. God did, we're not just another species of animals. Everything in our lives in terms of identity has to do with our connectiveness to God. Apart from him, we are completely lost. Yeah. In him, we have that connectedness that we define ourselves by our, to whom we are biologically born, the families that we grow up in, the communities that we grow up in, the nations that we grow up in. And we then, the problem is what we do with that. The problem is what we do with that. When Americans look down their noses at uh, other, countries. other countries or other na- or other peoples, or and and we're not certainly alone in this. We're very good at it, unfortunately, yeah. but we're certainly not alone in it. 
and you see this in a lot of of people where where a group of people will look down on another group of pig, uh, people simply because of a slight difference in skin pigmentation. Yeah. That's what it amounts to. It's a slight difference in skin pigmentation. It's a, a you know, it's such a minute issue. Um, it's issue. Not, it's not, yeah. The fact that it is consider- is actually become an issue is, is nonsensical. Yeah. Um, but it's really not about it's really not about color or skin pigmentation it's about fallen humanity expressing its corruptness yeah. and let me let me let me show you how this works because this is something in when we get back to and like i say it all goes back to the garden you always kind of eventually get back to genesis when god creates humanity in the garden says you know he creates them male and female and it talks about how he blesses them and what he does is he gives humanity a mandate two mandates actually Uh, one of them is be fruitful and multiply and fill the face of the earth with fruit reproduce okay then he gives a second mandate subdue the earth have authority over it. Okay? I am basically giving you two tasks. Reproduce and exercise authority or dominion. Okay? Um, when humanity fell, what happened? That mandate remained, but Adam and Eve were now separated from the only one who could truly enable them to carry it out. And now they were left to try to attempt to fulfill God's word apart from the God who revealed his will. Mm. And what happens to humanity when this happens? What happens is it becomes twisted. Yeah. Because what happens is the mandate to... uh, multiply and fill the earth with with fruit and to subdue the earth and have dominion over it instead becomes a obsession with sex and power. And these are two of the driving forces in humanity today. This fallen humanity's attempt in our own strength apart from God to fulfill the mandate of God. And so every possible sexual stupidity that God would never ordain, that God is revolted by, every sexual behavior of every kind that is not expressly, that is many times expressly or under blank blanket. And here's what you can understand. Okay. We have things that are expressly forbidden in the Bible. For instance, adultery is a good example. Yeah. If you are married to somebody or you do not step out on them. Yeah. You do not mess around with somebody who is married to somebody else. This is adultery and it's very precise. Mm-hmm. A person who is married or a uh, does not go outside that covenant relationship or a, an unmarried person 
does not enter into that relationship with somebody who is in a covenant relationship of that of marriage with somebody else. Yeah. And so if you do that, that's that's adultery and that's very specific. Now there's a term called fornication. Mm-hmm. And fornication's a big more of a blanket statement. Basically it refers to any unlawful sexual activity. And the law of God is very precise about who you are supposed to be sexually active with when the whole, it's like no sex outside of marriage, yeah. you know, no entering into marriage with certain relatives and blah, blah, blah. blah. You know, you, you, there, there's yeah. the, there's the who and there's the, and, the, and it's all very well defined. Whereas fornication basically is a blanket thing of don't, just don't do don't do any of the things that you already know according to God's law you're not supposed to do duh yeah. you know and, and they follow it so well <laughs> yes we're so really rotten at it um and so what you have are all of these sexual activities that God's word makes very clear are unacceptable to him that are being engaged in um because mankind, in its frustration, yeah, uh, not being able to do what God has called it to do, both individually and collectively. And this becomes a personal issue, and it becomes a societal issue. That's why here in America, we are obsessed with sex. I mean, I, I cannot speak for other nations. But we are a remarkably oversexed country in the United States. Oh, yeah. Sexuality has become... It's like sex, it's, it's used at the forefront of everything. Of everything. It is used to sell everything, and it is sold itself. Yeah. It's, 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 the, it's the promotion and the product. Um, let's be perfectly honest. I'll give you an, an example of this. This was something Mom was complaining about the other day this is your grandmother's pet peeve yeah okay uh, usually sure. it's my pet peeve but i'll actually bring your grandmother's pet peeve into this we're watching one of these um networks that focuses on home improvement real estate yeah. and all this sort of stuff there's bunches of them out there now but we're watching one the other day and and we're listening to these guys and they're they've remodeled this home and they're describing it to the people as being sexy and I'm like, wait a minute. The she was the same it. way. It's <laughs> like, when, seriously, when did your kitchen remodel become sexy? When did houses become sexy? I mean, unless they're a house of prostitution, no, there is no such yeah. thing. I mean, unless you're basically creating things that are, you know. They put little eyelashes on the windows. They put lipstick really, on, it, it's on the like, doors. And I'm, and I'm like, seriously, this is ridiculous. Oh, that yeah. sexy should be used to describe a house remodel. Really? I mean, that that is just so ridiculous. But sexy has become a thing that's applied to everything yeah and it's part of this cultural nonsense that's going and on that's something that everyone like um, you asked they want to feel sexy they want to but i don't feel like it they use the word sexy but i feel like they just feel like they want to be attractive you know what i mean they want to feel needed and that brings us to something else that's happening in society the breakdown of any standard yeah 
nobody, I mean, because you, oh, thou shalt not be body shamed. Okay. It's like nobody, it doesn't matter. Let's be honest. Uh, let's be honest. I mean, I own a mirror. Yeah. Okay. And it, and my eyesight, I wear glasses, but my eyesight with my glasses is pretty good. And I realized that a man who's over six foot tall <laughs> in his fifties, yeah, who weighs what I weigh. I I mean, let's be honest, I'm balding, I've grayed, I'm overweight, I'm not, you know, let's be perfectly honest. I, there is a reason why I do not walk around in a Speedo in a muscle shirt. <laughs> and it's called gag reflex because anybody who see it would find it very hard to keep from upchucking. Calvin Klein's I don't do that Peter. for this reason. In fact, yeah. if, if I did, there should be a law, a city ordinance passed against <laughs> me ever doing this. And yet I see people out wearing things that honestly, it's like, oh God, you should not wear that. Go to a Walmart at Please. 11 o'clock at night or go to any beach one time and you'll see people with confidence that I hope one day to attain. The people with confidence that has no grounding in reality. Hey. I, it's like, and that's where basically it's like, I, I realize you apparently have a sense of identity that is not in any way attached. Their self-esteem to is reality, re well intact. It's like, oh no, and so I have to, you know, it's it's funny in a way, but it's tragic as well because the truth of the matter is, what we're seeing is we're seeing a and and we talk about um, body diversity. In a way, it, it's like we we can't. Nobody is ugly. Mm. everybody's beautiful nobody's ugly everybody's beautiful it doesn't matter if you're fat or whether you're you whether you're you know a uh, pool stick thin yeah doesn't matter if you're short or tall doesn't matter with your skin is 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 good or whether it's not it doesn't matter what you look like it's like everybody's beautiful and it's like with all due respect yeah. Um, no. Mm -hmm. Look, we need to understand that there's a difference between, <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of like, um, everybody's child is beautiful to them. Yeah. But it may not be beautiful to everybody else. No. And that's because and there people are freak certain. out being all like, oh my God, what? And I'm like, listen, I work with people. They call kids ugly sometimes. I'm not kidding. <laughs> there are people walk in, they're like, look at this baby. And they're like, ugh. But, oh, that's a great baby. But, yeah, no. Exactly. There have always been paradigms and templates of a, a physical attractiveness. Well, that old saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. Everyone is beautiful to somebody. Exactly. But that doesn't mean that everybody is beautiful to everybody. No. And so we need to understand that. Even Jesus himself, what does it say about him? He had no form of comeliness that we should desire him. I God actually <laughs> yeah. sent his son. It's like, you know what? I ain't going to make him the prettiest baby on earth. He's not going to be the handsomest guy walking the planet. I bet Jesus appreciated that. <laughs> you know, but the truth of the matter is, in uh, in, in a way, what we need to understand is, what what we do is is we need to understand that first of all 
God's love for us was never based on a physical aesthetic. No. And I think we can basically understand that not everybody is going to appreciate the way everybody else looks. But we can love and respect everybody. Yeah. And that we have to understand, it's like, you know what? There are aesthetics. Now, the question is, it's like, and, and the question, and, and we can call into the, the deal, is, it value, is, is beauty an actual thing that we should even embrace as a concept? Hmm. Because at that point, it's like, well, should we even have the concept of ugliness? If we're all God's children, his creation, the work of his hands, in the image and likeness of God, are we not all beautiful? See, I'm, I'm, now I'm running some stuff and I see your wheel spinning. Yeah. But it's like, and, and are these simply artificial sociological constructs of our various cultures, which we as children are taught and we receive without the ability to filter out and then walk in the rest of our lives. Mm. Mm. Now, again, this is, but this is the reality we live in. Yeah. So the question then becomes, is this legitimate? We recognize, but there's this whole body diversity thing that's going on right now. And it's like, you can't shame me because of how I look. But the truth of the matter is, at some point, you need to understand that either there is a standard or there is not a standard. And if you're going to have to decide is beauty or ugliness concepts that we are even going to continue in as, as nations and as humanity. Hmm. See, you're taking it so deep. <laughs> my mind hurts. Nah. Because when you start identifying with how you look yeah. and your personal image inside is based so much on how you're being received by your outward appearance. But then what happens is I find that there is a situation where, and here, here's the thing about it. One can, and, and let's, because we're going to enter, enter into uh, some philosophical arguments here about whether this is actually a good and healthy thing or not. But what you have to say is, if I get into a situation where it doesn't matter how much or how little I weigh, that is not to be considered beautiful or ugly, then basically I can get as large as I want and nobody should say anything about it, regardless of the fact of how it would actually harm me physically. Yeah, because after a while, you just get... You actually have... There is the, the part of the reasoning behind aesthetics is that this is a good and healthy thing. Yeah. One should not be too thin nor too fat. Okay. Now, obviously we can't control how much, how tall we are. Yeah. But we can't control how much we weigh mm -hmm. and we weigh too much and we weigh too little. There are health consequences. Yeah. Okay. If you, 
are not taking care of yourself. Okay. You know, again, these have, these are physical things that show up in your appearance, but they also relate to aesthetics yeah. and to your health. So, you know, this is an interesting debate, but people are so hung up on either living up to a standard. See, here's the thing. It becomes about, what is it, perception as reality? Yeah. And for a lot of people, how they appear is an obsession to them because they allow themselves and their identity to be defined by others. Yeah, they're too dependent on how other people think about them and worry about that too much. Women, for instance, are, are extraordinary. This is an interesting thing. Women tend, and, and I know somebody will probably call me a chauvinist anchor because of this, but this is not... As you know, I'm not a chauvinist oinker. You know that. Yeah. But the truth we of the matter... We mean it with love. <laughs> the truth of the matter is women tend to be more sensitive to their appearance than men. Uh, as, as a group, we, uh, men tend to be... And uh, I, we were talking about when I took notes for somebody who was hard of hearing many years ago in a psychology class. I remember the, the psychology uh, teacher talking about this that and they've done the statistical research so this isn't just you know uh my opinion and what they found out is that women were more sensitive to their appearance especially in terms of weight for instance than men were yeah. a, a man he'll pack on a few pounds and he'll look in the mirror and say i still look good you know they'll, <laughs> now, they'll still go back to their that may days. that may be divorced from any reality so they, they just turned into being delusional but a woman <laughs> will be much more concerned about weight gain and weight loss than men do yeah let's be perfectly honest um you know there there's a lot more of that that that's why diet plans are often pitched more to women than to men yeah because men for the most part, don't care. You know, they really aren't concerned as much with their appearance yeah. as men. That's why most men are not nearly as concerned with fashion as women. Yeah. Women are very concerned with, it's like, does this, does this fall in my color wheel? Yeah. A man is like, did I, do I need to, do I dare sniff this shirt before I put it on? Yeah, like, you know, do I need to wash like, this? It's like, it's, you know, three weeks. it's like, it's not moving on its own. So I don't care what color it is. I'm just going to wear this. It may look stained. I'll call it tie dye. Exactly. Wow. I really like this, this checkerboard pattern of green and purple. This is going to look fabulous <laughs> on me. It's like, seriously, guys, that doesn't look good on anybody. And so you, you have this, women tend to be more fashionable. They tend to be more conscious about their appearance. And the interesting thing about this is they value the opinion of other women much more highly concerning these things than you do that of men. Yeah. Unless there's an emotional investor. Yeah, if your husband thinks it looks good or something like that, you know, it's it, different. It, it's different. And even then, because you realize that your husband is probably really tacky and has no taste in clothes, and, and, yeah. and isn't really interested in his own appearance, then you will actually uh, take 
the opinion of women in your family or women who are your friends or coworkers much more that's when seriously they, than you will of the man. That's when they just call the mother or their sister and they're like, please tell me I look good. The man wearing Crocs and sandals and car and cargo shorts says I look good, but I can't trust him. It's like, it's like my husband, it's like, I'm going to get this new hairdo. My, I hope my husband likes it, but if he doesn't like it, I'm not really worried about it because my sister tells me it looks great on me, you know, and it's kind of that thing. And so, the, and, the, and the barber who did it said it looks great, but who cares? Now people are wondering, it's like, well, y'all have gotten very unspiritual in this discussion, but let me let me bring it back here to the whole point of this is about how people perceive you. Women have traditionally been more vulnerable to the criticisms and take this much more deeply. Um, most guys, honestly, if you insult their opinion, it is not going to wound them very much. No. But if you start yep. getting personal, yeah. Um, if you start body shaming a, a woman or age shaming a woman, yeah. Um, and, and in fact, I'm actually seeing on you know, these various news feeds about different people. Well, this woman was age shamed and it's like this one was body shamed and all this. You do not find this as much with men. And no. the interesting thing is women are doing it much more to women. Yeah. And, 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 and that's when it gets really unpleasant because women take the opinion of other women concerning parents much more seriously. Yeah. If a man this is a woman based on her appearance or what she's wearing, whatever. That's one thing. But women actually fear the appearance of other women much more because they value their opinion on these, uh, on the aesthetics. Yeah. Uh, much more than they, than a man's uh, opinion. And so we see this kind of thing. People, it, it's like, you know what? It hurts more because your opinion matters more. Yeah. And then it becomes an identity thing. And women are actually seeking the acceptance of other women and hoping for it. And it's like, well, why would you do that? Let's go back to the book of Genesis. Back to Genesis. What happened when Adam and Eve fell in the garden? Well, God shows up and he starts handing it down to him. Yeah. Daddy has entered the room. And the kids are scared. And the kids basically know, uh-oh, the old man is really ticked now, you know? And, and so God is like, Adam, did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I expressly told you not to eat of? He's like, well, what you, what happened was. <laughs> exactly. At that point, it's like, well, let me explain, Dad. The woman. Of course. You know. Yeah. Blame whoever's nearest that you gave me. It's like, man, talking about digging it deep and digging it deep fast. He not only, first of all, he blames his wife. The same wife that he was there for the entire time and listened to what she heard 
and engaged in what she gained with and was actually supposed to be protecting her but didn't do his job and he's now throwing her under the bus and then in the same breath he's saying this is the woman you gave me and he's throwing god under the bus it's like you know it somehow i it doesn't get much stupider than that you know what i've always thought about that moment yeah. i've seen couples fight Mm-hmm. And I've seen the looks that wives give their husbands or girlfriends give their boyfriends when the boyfriend or the husband says something just incredibly stupid or back talks them like one time. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen the look that Eve gave Adam when he goes, the woman, and she'd be like, what'd you say? <laughs> that would have been a stink eye that would have, <laughs> yeah, that even much. Medea would have been like, ooh. I know that God told Adam and Eve, you know, you know, she, her desire will be towards you and et cetera and all that. But I'm going to tell you something. When they got booted out of the garden, I do not believe that Adam slept in the same cave as Eve that night. She built I, him a I'm, couch I'm, I'm telling and made you, him sleep on it's that couch. Like, it's like you're going to sleep outside between the rocks. Yeah. Because no, no, we are. <laughs> it's like you dissed me in front of God, you know. And it's like, and, and you dissed me in front of the devil. Yes. Now, so what's this got to do with what we were talking about a minute ago? Well, here's the thing. At some point in time, every daughter of Eve expects the men in her life to behave like a son of Adam. Yeah. Adam failed his wife. He did not protect her from the serpent. And the protect, because it says... It doesn't say through Adam and Eve's sin that sin and death entered the world. It says through one man's sin, Adam. Yeah. Because the woman was deceived. The man actually knew better. Hers was a sin, a, 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 a sin of deceptions. His was a sin of rebellion. Yeah. And that's why he bears the brunt of the blame. It is Adam and Adam alone who basically brought sin and death into this world. And... That same Adam threw Eve under the bus. He did not protect her. He blamed her. He blamed, he, blamed, he blamed God for giving her to him. I mean... It's like he and, threw a fit right there. And the problem with that is that betrayal has went through, has become the common law. The, the reason why you see women who love Christ much more passionately than men is because he's the only man who has never and will never fail. Yeah. Because he did for them what Adam should have done. He actually gave himself for them. I mean, think about that. This is a man who died for you. The son of God, the son of man, Jesus Christ died for you. He didn't diss you. He didn't blame you. I mean, like the woman, it's like, it's like, it's like, um, when he's dealing with the woman taken in adultery, where are your accusers? You know, uh, nowhere. Then neither do I accuse you go and sin no more. And it's like he defended her when nobody else was. He was there for her when nobody else was. He, you know, and the woman who who broke the alabaster box. Apparently, he doesn't know what kind of woman's touching him. 
And it's like, um, I, I think the fellow, the, the I think it was Simon was the name of the Pharisee. I'd have to look it up. That it's like, come over here. I need to talk to you. You gave me no kiss of greeting. Yeah. There was anoint, no anointing for my head, no washing of my feet. You have disrespected me from the moment I've entered your home. Mm. But this woman has entered in here, and she has not ceased to wipe my to to wipe to wash my feet with her tears, wipe them with her hair. She broke this alabaster box of anointing on my head. She has not ceased to worship me from the moment she's entered the room. She has done what you have not. She has shown me respect. And it's like, so don't and be dissing did. this girl to me. And as long and as she so found like, perfume or oil, she like it was expensive stuff. That was yes. all she. That was like that would have been like a, I guess a dowry or something in that, a sense. That is probably the most expensive thing the woman ever owned. And she broke gave it, up. it. Yes. Yeah. And so that's why women find in Christ the love and the acceptance and the stability that unfortunately they they do not get. find in us men. Yeah. And so what happens is um, when they're not in Christ, there's that distrust of man. At some point in her life, sadly, every woman expects a, every man in her life to be a son of Adam. Sadly, we frequently and, and all too often live down to that. Yeah. And, and we end up blaming them. How many guys have said it was the chick in the garden that got his husband? Sorry, no, man. It's on Adam. It's all on you. Yeah. So it's like, let's not, let's not indulge in that nonsense. We need to understand. And But women have been blamed. And they've identified with that blame. They've, I, they identify with Eve. Mm-hmm. Who was blamed and 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 basically not protected it's only when you're in Christ that you can move beyond and that's why women tend to trust the opinions of other women you know it's like and it hurts more when they're wounded by other women because you expect it of a man but you hope for better from your own gender because it's like they should know what it's you're like, going through. It's like, yeah. It's like, sister, where are you for me? Mm-hmm. And you're dissing me now? You too? Yeah. And so there's a feeling of betrayal that runs deeper. Yeah. And because they don't know who you, to turn to. Exactly. And so, it, again, and this is one of those things where women, because they're women, identify with other women. And so and they're attacked by other women. Or wounded by other women, it hurts more. For what when a man uh, wounds a woman, it's just an expected thing. Yeah. Unless you really are invested in those people, if it's your father, your brother, your husband, your son that mm-hmm. does that. See, and that's but again, and that's how it relates to identity. But this has to come from that fallen issue. We've talked about like how, and I want to do want to go back because I could basically camp out here all day about man-woman relationships and how jacked up things have been since the garden. Oh, yeah. And we may but, come back and cover that. 
Uh, but when we get Ooh, to... that would be a good February. <laughs> <laughs> something to look forward to this Valentine's Day. Um, How we're all pissed <laughs> up in the head. And, and it's like, But again, it's about identity. Who am I? Well, if women think of themselves as a daughter of Eve and yeah. start behaving like it, if men think of themselves as a son of Adam and begin acting like it, see... That's where you have to understand this is who my this is where my fallen nature comes from. But if I'm going to transcend and be back to the garden as who I was always meant to be, I've got to look back farther and I got to get back to God. Yeah. And that's where the real deal is, because otherwise I can never do this mandate on my life. This be fruitful, multiply, fulfill the, uh, fill the earth with fruit becomes this obsession with sex in every possible variant and every possible weirdness of, of ungodliness. But then there's the other thing. And here's, yeah. here's, here we'll talk about men a little bit, because this is identity for men, too. Oh man, no! I got. I can't leave. I can't leave sex yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. Man, if 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 there's a group that's more obsessed with sex than men, I mean, from the moment men hit puberty, pretty much. It is about all men talk about. A man can take any phrase and make it into sexual innuendo. Yep. Anything. Anything. I work I mean, in a meat department. Exactly. It's all It's day. All, all day long puns about. It's. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. And you're just like, what? Men will lie about how, many, how much sex they're having. Talk about how much sex they want to have. Obsess about sex. I mean, it is amazing because it's one of those things. In the fallen state, man identifies with his self. It's like, this is the mandate of God. I'm to be fruitful and multiply. Therefore, it's all about how much sex that I'm having. How many sex partners I'm having. How many variants of sex I'm having, how often I'm having sex, how, and then in the absence of that, how much sex I'm watching, you know, with the few, with the few points of a click and, and all, and it's about, yes, then you're getting into other things. And the answer is no, that's not what that means at all. (laughs) (laughs) And so what, and so, there's this thing where men are identifying themselves strictly on the basis of sex. Yeah. And yes, we are created to be sexual beings, but we're created to be sexual beings in a time and in a place and within and with an individual of God's choosing. Yeah. It's called marriage. Yeah. It's called marriage. And I and and as long as we allow ourselves to be um, identified, it's like well, you know what? It, it's like if you actually abstain from sex, you're a weird. I yeah. mean, when did virgin become an insult? Okay, but 
it's like now it's something, it's a term of mockery. Yeah. It's a label that is meant to basically say, well, if you're a virgin, then you're a loser. You ain't much of a man. Yeah, that's what it's... I mean, that's the whole the whole point of how it's used. It's a pejorative. And it's like, you know what? Uh, no, you're a man who has enough willpower or a deep enough spiritual walk that you can actually control the animal desires that basically others who are insulting you are allowing to run them. Yeah. Because they don't see themselves as any more than an animal. Yeah. And so you have that situation. So now that I've actually talked about that for a moment, let's move on to the second mandate. Have authority over all the earth. That's the other section. Sex and, quote, power. power. And this is where we talk about men because men identify with what they do. You get any two men together who have never met and within no more than 10 minutes. So what line are you in? What, yeah, do you do? What, do you, about work. what do you do for a living? Mm, oh, you're in construction. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I, I'm in banking, blah, blah, blah. And they're constantly comparing themselves to each other. Yeah. You know, that's why men are so big on sports. They obsess with sports because, at, oh boy, I yeah. might as well go there. Part of the community identification is, let's be perfectly honest, most men and women, because we're fallen and because we can't carry out those mandates uh, apart from God, we basically feel like losers. Yeah. And the problem is when you feel like a loser in life, you're looking for some way to feel like a winner. And yeah. so what do we do? Well, what we do is we seek out a form of entertainment that allows us to identify with it. To live vicariously through and, it. And, and feel like a winner. I'm a winner because I support this baseball team or this football team or this college. I may not have went to that college, but it's in my state. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I it's identify like with it. Drive. It's only like a three hour drive. And I drove past the interstate one time that actually had a sign this way to the university of. And so I identify with that, even though, you know, I've never went there. No member of my family, no member of my friends. None but of I those bought are, a shirt. I bought a shirt. Not I, even I, from the college. I've identified. Yeah. I am I, now identifying myself with this team. And let me tell you something. It's really, you know, I talked about the fashion thing and then it's really bad for men. Yeah. This sports idolatry and this identification with sports. Um, I, I, um, Super Bowl Sunday a few years ago, um, I was teaching an adult Sunday school class and I sarcastically, um, referred to Super Bowl Sunday as National Woman Beating Day. Yeah. Because it is a statistical fact yeah. that more women are beaten by men on that particular day than any other day of the year. Well, drinking goes up and if and, and God forbid <clears throat> your team lose. Exactly. And the woman you, just doesn't understand and that's what 
and then and you start seeing men taking it out on their wives, their girlfriends, fiancés, daughters, sisters, mothers. You don't hear a single thing about it. Oh, we don't. We don't really talk about that because it would dampen Super Bowl Sunday. Well, you know, and, and, and so, but what it, what it is, is you have all of these men who feel like losers mm-hmm. who have identified on this day with this team and their whole identity right now is based on the success and failure. And when that team fails, so do they. And they're angry and all of the frustrations and failures and inadequacies they feel well up in anger and they look for a object and you know what adam (laughs) takes it out on eve again i was about to say they look oh see we're back to that again i was about to say they uh they try to find their eve and take it out on her exactly this is off topic sort of but i would kind of like to because of where we are in the south (laughs) okay super bowl sunday is like that's probably more national than anything yeah that's more of an american thing but i would like to see what the statistics are with that around when the iron bowl happens now that would be interesting if alabama loses an iron bowl i would like to see it i would like to see statistics of like i said off topic kick six i want to see that year because that was a heartbreaker for alabama Mm -hmm. i wonder what the statistics are for that year well, I think it would be interesting, and I don't know if anybody's ever run these numbers. But I don't think I, so honestly, either, but I, I think would it, look into that. I think that what they should do is when it gets down to the winners and losers of bowl games, especially national bowl games yeah. at the college football level, I would love for them to actually start basically running the numbers on the states in which those universities yeah. are and see if there is a correlating uh, spike in the number of beatings of women by men on the days that those teams lose and and compare it with the numbers of when they win of when they win and the winners and the losers colleges yeah and where they win oh listen i feel like domestic violence and duis go high or you can pretty yeah. much bank on it duis anytime but Domestic violence, I feel like, would go would be higher, too. And, and so what are men doing? They are investing themselves emotionally with an identification with a sports team, with a university, with a high school, with a whatever. And when they lose... Their identity failed them. And, and he, Well, you know what? They fell again. Yep. They fell again because every son of Adam realizes, you know what? I'm a son of Adam. And that makes me fall and that makes me a loser. Yep. But victory is not found in being a son of Adam. No. Victory is found in being saved through the blood of Jesus Christ and coming once again to your heavenly father. At yeah. that point, you become a king and a priest. And, 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 and you become a son of God. This is what the destiny of man always was and will be at the end. And so as long as we keep allowing ourselves to, in our fallen state, identify ourselves with all of this nonsense, then we're basically going to keep reliving our mistakes. We're going to keep acting like sons of Adam. 
women are going to keep acting like daughters of Eve. And we need to understand this. Identification, identity is a huge issue. And that's why it's so important for men. What do you do for a living? You know, and do you ever notice how we do this thing? People generally go around with two attitudes and it's the comparison game. Yeah. We go around and we do, and, and we're either happy or miserable depending on which side of the game we're playing. Yeah. You watch reality television, which we, as we know, has no true basis in reality. And basically people watch people who are generally more attractive than they are, wealthier than they are, many times younger or older than they are, basically act like complete morons. Yeah. And we love this because it makes us feel better than them. It's and like, you know what? They're better looking than I am. They have more money than I am. They're they're younger than I am. But they're an idiot. At least uh, but at least I don't act like that. At least those. I don't act like that. What a doofus. What a moron. And yeah. it's like, I feel so good about myself because if I was in that situation, I wouldn't be doing that. And it's like, and you feel good about yourself because you feel superior to them. And what's funny is, is some of these reality people, some are just that way. In just life. that, just that but jacked up. If you do talk to some people, they have like business mindsets that are ridiculous. Yeah. Like if you listen to some interviews where these, some of these reality stars are talking about, cause they, some of them have businesses, the way they talk about it, it's like ridiculous how into it they are. And then you realize, oh, most of this is probably just an act. It's scripted. It's nonsense. Yeah. A lot of it. And so and so you see that, yeah. and then you're looking at people then who compare themselves and feel bad about themselves because they're constantly comparing themselves to somebody they see on the internet, somebody they see on television, somebody they see in real life. And yeah. what they're doing is you're you're either comparing yourself to somebody that you feel better than and making yourself feel better because, well, at least I'm, you know, good gravy. At least I don't look like them. At yeah. least, at least I'm don't act like them. At least, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm doing much better than they are. You yeah. know, my career may not be what I would like it to be, but seriously, but at least I'm, I'm not, not I'm not looking, I'm not working there. And, yeah. and you have all that and you feel better about yourself because you're looking down at somebody else or you're constantly feeling worse about yourself. I just watched television and I saw this beautiful home in California. These people paid a million dollars. Oh, I wish I had. And then I look around and I see my house and it's like, woof, you know, or, you know, and let's be honest. And, and you got, oh man. <laughs> and then you got men who are watching porn. Yeah. And sometimes women who are watching porn who are basically saying, you know, um, my wife doesn't look so good to me now. Yeah. My husband doesn't look so good to me now. And sometimes it's not even in the pornographic thing. Sometimes it's somebody on in on television. Yeah. You know, I just watched this holiday movie. I just watched this soap opera. I, I just, just watched, watched this. Movie or I watched this movie. And let me tell you something. It goes on in the church. Yeah. Because there's a lot of men who are constantly being compared by their wives to the pastor. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, now see, I'm not supposed to go there. We'll see. <laughs> but but it's like, you know. But then you get husbands comparing their wives to the worship leaders sometimes. Exactly. And it's like, we need to get over this. Yeah. This nonsense of, of basically defining ourselves, going that our identity is based on a comparison of ourself with somebody else so we can either feel worse or feel better than ourselves. By comparing ourselves to somebody else. You were never meant to be somebody else. Therefore, you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Yeah. That's why there's no word in the Hebrew for hero. Really? In fact, we're not meant to have heroes. Now, when we look at people, we can find out a couple of things. First of all, the, see, the concept of the hero is basically a Greco-Roman thing. Don't have time to get into that, but they, they, for the hero, the hero was usually an athlete. They would excel. They were crowned. They were actually yeah. proclaimed a god. They were given a crown of laurel leaves over their head. Many times they were given retirement, homelands, the whole shamir. If they you were, were good enough, life. I mean, yeah, if you were a, an ancient, uh, you know, Greek in the time of the Olympiads, I mean, you could just. You were you were representing your nation, sort of like the modern Olympics. Yeah, not much different. You know, you win the Olympic gold medal, you got yourselves endorsement uh, deals, and you like were, crazy. You're yeah. set for life, and so you look at this, and it's like, so what have you got going on here with with this behavior? And so I, I'm I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, well, look. Um, what, what you got here is you should look at every, I like the way that Paul puts it, follow me as I follow Christ, which means that in everything I do that is Christ-like, which is good, which is godly, learn from that, imitate that, walk in that. But in that statement, there's also another understanding, yeah. which is in any way that I don't follow Christ, don't imitate me. Don't follow me. Don't be like me. We need to understand that because Paul could say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus in one place. And then in another place, he could say, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Yeah. Yeah. That which I would do, I don't do. That's what I wouldn't do, I do. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We need to understand that we don't need to idolize anybody. And we don't need, you know what? We need to understand everybody has weaknesses. Everybody has strengths. Learn from the virtues. Learn from the strengths. Walk, try to walk in those. Do Reject the faults. Reject the failures. Show compassion to the fallen, but try to be a better person. Yeah. And most of all, realize you can't do it yourself. You need the reliance of the Holy Spirit. You need the Word of God to truly define you, the Spirit of God to define you, your relationship with God to define you, because that's who you really are. And so when we allow ourselves to identify ourselves with with sports teams, when we allow people 
our, our, our self to be identified with labels. And this is what the world does. For the, for the man and woman of Christ, you're going to be labeled. They did this with John the Baptist and Jesus. Jesus talked about it. You know, it's like, look, he's, John comes out, he's wearing camel hair, leather belt, eating wild locusts and honey. You said he's got a demon. You say that is mind. And it's like, and behold, the son of man, he comes eating and drinking. You say, behold, a wine bibber and a glutton, a friend of sinners and publicans. And it's like, but wisdom, wisdom is justified by all her children. And it's like you tried to label him one way. You try to label me another. You'll try to label us all of our lives, but we're not accepting the labels because we know to whom we belong and we know who, what we're called to do. And so when we know, when, since everything is defined by our relationship with God and he defines us, and that's where it gets into, this is my purpose. My purpose was always to be God's child. And everything else grows out from that. When my relationship with God is right, at that point, every relationship in my life begins to turn for the better. Except for those that when I'm interacting with lost people, because as I become better, they're going to become worse. Or they're going to repent and become Christians. See, that's what happens. You find yourself in conflict with the world. and But the world will try to uh, label you. For instance, what happens, and this is, oh man, this is what the world does, okay? These are what the systems of the world do. All of these cultural systems at some point basically boil down to wanting to do two things. It's the same thing what they did to Daniel and his three friends. When Babylon came and they basically conquered uh, the house of Judah and they took them into prisoner and they hauled them away to Babylon, what did they do? They took Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they made them eunuchs. Okay, which means they couldn't reproduce. They made it impossible for them to fulfill the first half of the Genesis God mandate. They could not be fruitful and multiply and fill the face of the earth with fruit. That's what the systems of this world do to you spiritually. They castrate you. <laughs> they spiritually castrate you. The second thing that happened was they renamed them all. Yeah. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not their names. No. Any more than in the book of Esther, Esther and Mordecai are not their names. Esther's actually name is actually, uh, well, it, it, she has her real Hebrew name. The name Esther actually comes from Ishtar or Ashtart, yeah, which was a pagan goddess. Mm-hmm. Mordecai's name was not Mordecai. He has a Hebrew name, but the name Mordecai is basically the name of the god Marduk. Hmm. And so both of them were had were labeled 
were labeled by other people as to who they were. But they all, but if you'll find out who they really were, if you read the book of Esther, in the same way in the book of Daniel, you find out Dan, who Daniel and his three friends really are, mm-hmm. not who they were labeled to be. See, and there's the difference. There's who the world calls you, and then there's who you really are. Are you Jacob or are you Israel? Are you, you know, are you Simon or are you Peter? Who are you really? Only God makes the true identification. And the thing about it is Babylon basically made them servants. Yeah. And so what you, and decided what dominion they would have. And that's what this world does. It says, we will decide what dominion you have. We will decide what authority you have in this world. But this is where when we move past that and we come to Christ, all of a sudden we are given another mandate. And that is go forth and preach the gospel and make converts. In short, show people how to be born again and basically be fruitful and multiply Mm. yourself for me on the face of the earth. Just as Adam was given the mandate of being physically to be fruitful and multiply, Adam and Eve were given that mandate. So every child of God is to go forth and bear spiritual fruit and be fruitful and multiply by leading men and women to Jesus Christ and letting and having them be born again. Then there's the second mandate. And that's the mandate that comes basically subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Well, when God raised Christ from the dead, he gave him a name which was above all names that in the name of Jesus, every name in heaven, earth, or under earth must bow and confess that he is Lord. He gave him all authority in heaven and in earth, and he has given that authority to us. Which means that now we have authority, and now we need to start exercising that authority. And actually, we are to be salt and light in the earth. We are to exercise. What does it say? Go forth and subdue the earth. We are to go forth and subdue and have dominion, have authority over it. We have allowed the world to have authority over us. We should be having authority over it. Yeah. (laughs) And so when we become, and that's why people will never understand their identity until they walk into a relationship with Jesus Christ because they're going to allow this world to continue to dominate them, to define them, to brainwash them. And they're always going to feel either arrogant by comparing themselves to somebody else or inferior because they've compared themselves to someone else. They're always going to be seeking somebody to identify with. Some kind of fulfillment. Somebody to hero worship. They're going to seek something. If I can just get a better job, 
if I can get my dream job, if I can make this much money, if I can have this big a house, if I die with the most toys, I win. I was worthwhile. If I can have my name on a building or on a company, if, if I can have my own line of clothing, my own label, if I can have this, that, or the other, if I can be as good as this person, have what this person has, and it's like, it's never going to satisfy. It'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. You'll be good for like an hour, and then you'll have to go right back to finding. And It lasts doing... about as long as that new car smell. Yeah. Once that goes away, then it's not good anymore, and it's old. The moment you get that first ding in the car in the parking lot. Yeah. And you go in the sackcloth and ashes. Yeah. It's like, I got a ding in my vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't identify. Isn't it funny that people will identify with something as ridiculous as what you drive? Yeah. And they'll judge you for it. Yes. What you have. It's like, really? Oh. It's like, yeah. And, but we, I'm glad we don't fall into those traps in the church. No, really. That we don't define people spiritually by how big their house is yeah. or how large their bank account is. Or how, yeah. Or, or as or, a pastor, how big the church is. Yes. We, we don't worry about the numbers. We're never about the appearances and the optics. It's never about whether or not, you know. How big the ties are. See, I remember a story that T.D. Jakes used to tell where they would be having like guest preachers coming in to, uh, I guess they were going to come in and have a meeting with them or something. And I think it was like, I don't know if it was like a board of directors or something, but they would actually hide TD Jakes's car because of how bad it looked. They didn't want the coming in pastor or preacher or evangelist to see what he drove. Right. And I'm like, why does that matter? <laughs> you know, it's like, come on now. Well, seriously, when it's about the size of your entourage. Yeah. When it's about the the number of, of staff you bring with you, yeah. this kind of nonsense. It's and, it's and honestly, it, it is. It's ridiculous. Um, and as well, Christians, you should be better than that, a lot better than that. Let me, since we're on this subject about identity, it's very difficult for the people in the pews to be comfortable with their identity in Jesus Christ, when the people on the in the pulpits aren't comfortable with their identities in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like early in the, in this episode where you were talking about basically hometown people getting onto, uh, other people saying, well, they just forgot where they came from or they're getting too big for their britches. And it's like, all I could think of was a bunch of pew sitters telling a bunch of young kids Mm -hmm. that exact same thing. Basically, I feel like it's almost jealousy. Or Saul. So, yeah. It's one of those things where it's like. Oh, Saul has killed his thousands and yeah. David's his ten thousands. Yeah. Oh, see, it's the just, comparison will breed a lot of. Uh, it's just one of those things that I've noticed a bunch of people who, and I, it's a bunch of people who never really amounted to anything in their church life or their walk with Christ. And the moment someone shows up with passion and is actually doing things and is trying to do things then they got to shut things down yeah. for them. It's like, we must break him. You know, it's like that whole mentality just creeps up. Mm-hmm. And it's like any ounce of drive or ambition that a young Christian had for his walk with Christ gets diminished. 
Well, it's a game of spiritual whack-a-mole. Yeah. As soon as somebody lifts their head up, you got to smack them back down so they don't actually get to thinking that God can use them for anything. And it's like most most churches really just want – I think what the idea, the ideal situation for a church is, is to raise up uh, young people to be on fire for God have dreams, have passions, and then send them away to college so they can go and possibly further their walk with Christ and do all that and then have them go to another church so they can execute those ideas and we get the credit for look at what they did, you know? Well, I I tell you, it's amazing to me this mentality that we have concerning this sort of thing. One of the things that I I remember, they're talking about the jealousy thing. Um, I, I remember years ago when uh, back in the 1970s, uh, a lady named Debbie Boone had a ridiculous hit with a song called You Light Up My Life. And it was number one on the charts for a ridiculously long period of time. I mean, it just for weeks and weeks and weeks, it was on the it was number the one deal. on the chart. Well, Debbie Boone is one of the daughters of Pat Boone, yeah. who had been very successful in the 50s and 60s in, in rock and roll and, and pop music and all this sort of thing. And they were asking him about this because when the media was getting it, it's like, doesn't this bother you? that basically she has this huge mega hit and basically it's just like forever. And it's like, and, and it's like, it's like, well, you just basically become Debbie Boone's dad now, you know? And it's like, it's like, aren't you jealous? Don't you resent this type of, of her, of this success? And his, his response paraphrasing here was essentially that no, it really didn't bother him at all that basically his deal was that he loved his daughter and he celebrated her successes as his own. He's as happy for her to, to do as well as he did and even do better than he did because he loves her, that's his child, and he wants her to do well. It, it's like, no, this is, this, is, this is just as good as if I had done this. And, and you celebrate the other person's achievement and blessing because you actually love that person you're not resentful or jealous or wanting to keep them down so that you can be up here and they can be down here and it's all about creating the pecking order and so when you when you see that his attitude was what we should have sadly what we often do not have and, and as long as we keep that attitude, you, can't, you will reap what you show. And as long as ministers are keeping people down, God will keep them down. Yeah. And there is an identity crisis in the pulpit because if you've noticed, I noticed this trend some years ago where men and women of God were no longer content to be called pastor or evangelist or even prophet or teacher, um, they had to be chairman and CEO, or life coach, yeah, or mentor, 
or whatever. They're basically all taking the, on worldly uh, terms. It's like yes, to fill the to fill the void. Yes, we feel inadequate about our callings and what we're actually who we are in Christ. Yeah. But we'll feel better about it if we take on the world's business. Because uh, that's labels what church Because into. it's like and 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 we can. I I don't want to be called pastor. Yeah. I want to be called, you know, chairman. Of chairman, and it's like, it's apparently the real problem is that you never got over the fact that you consider yourself to be a failure in the eyes of the world. Yeah, and being called to be a pastor isn't enough in your eyes. No, and so you need this other label because you never got over, basically. Um, Being the a fact, failure. the fact that you think of yourself as a failure yeah. and you never found, uh, what you really needed to find in Jesus Christ. And if you're the one in the pew or in the, in the, on the pulpit, how are you going to lift up the person in the pew? Exactly. And then you, and, and then there's the ones and, and you see this going on a few years ago, it became very, uh, you know, this, there's this thing and it says in the Bible and God said gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and then there's the and teachers, mm -hmm. though some though the and is not there, and so there's a debate about fivefold ministry as a poor as opposed to pastor teacher fourfold ministry. Yeah. I tend to go with the fourfold ministry, but that but people can debate that all day long. But what I found interesting is that when the whole thing became uh some years ago about people were talking about apostles still being around yeah and people were talking about prophets still being around what they call the office of the apostle the, the office. office of the of, and and that's become a big thing too because we all have to have an office <laughs> have to have an office yeah we have to have a physical office and we have to have a spiritual office uh i like the way basically uh paul put it um basically if i'm an apostle to nobody else i'm an apostle to you yeah, it's like, you know what? The fruit of my ministry tells you what I am and who I am. And you can identify me by the works God does through me. Yeah. It's sort of the same thing that Jesus did when he basically when when John the Baptist started doubting John, this is what's going on. You know, don't doubt. Look at what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? I don't need to label myself here. You've already, you already set it prophetically. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Paul only, you know, Paul only had to basically do that in order to basically beat back religious people. Yeah. I mean, Paul, an apostle, not of men, but of God, you know, and, and, and you, you, you see that because basically people were challenging his apostolic call. Yeah. And he has to basically take him to task in the book of Galatians. And, he, and, he, and, and, and you see all of this. And he's having to do this because it's the religious people that yeah. are having a problem. The world doesn't care. The world doesn't care. And but just the saved religious people don't folks. care either. They're, yeah. they're just like, okay, we're down for it. Exactly. But it's those people who are calloused and numb to it who've been, you know, Christians for well, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years that are. Well, when ministers and ministry see themselves as competitors instead of family. Yeah. 
and they dog on other denominations instead of going and joining other denominations to go help people and spread the gospel. We cannot move beyond our or when there can only be so many churches of a certain denomination within so many miles of each other. Yeah. It's like, come on now. Well, see, that's like this thing. (laughs) It's like, God forbid we all come together and help people. Yeah. It's like, if we're all of the same mindset, well, you you have to understand the the model now is, is a corporate model, which means it's sort of like a McDonald's. You can only have, you don't put so many McDonald's or so many Burger Kings, you don't, you don't, there's only so many franchises that you need within a certain demographic area. Exactly. I mean, you, you, ge- geography, you want to give everybody a chance to get their customer base yeah. and, and bring in their and cultivate their location. You don't want to put them too close together and they don't help out each other. The franchises no. do not help out each other. They just basically, and sadly, that's, I, I thank God for the men and women of God who do not allow themselves to get trapped into those paradigms, who actually will walk across, who, who will actually walk across denominational borders yeah. or non-denominational borders and actually go to uh, even somebody in their own denomination. I'll, I, I will not just go with a clique of, of ministers, but I will help anybody in my denomination. Not only that, I will go beyond my denomination. I may be a Pentecostal, but I will go and help the charismatic. I will help the Baptist. I will help whoever because yeah. it's not about It's not just, about the denomination. It's not about the label. It's not about who I'm being identified with. And, oh, well, let's just go there a moment. Have you noticed how basically we say, I belong to this church? Yeah. As though somehow they own us? Yeah. I belong to this denomination. I belong to this one. It's no different. Some say, I am of Paul. Yeah. I am of Apollos. And then there's always that annoying, well, I'm of Jesus, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm just a Christian. It's like, oh, those are the ones that people find so annoying. Yeah. But yeah, those are the ones that are all all, uh, usually the biggest hypocrites, too. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, I'm a voting for jesus in the election and it's like okay well you cussed out like five people on the way to the grocery store <laughs> and you didn't tip the uh kid who brought if out you're the gonna vote groceries. for jesus stop taking his name in vain exactly um it's one of those things but i i we laugh about this and but it's it's tragic because apparently even within the churches it's like we identify with this television minister or this pastor or this denomination or this congregation i like the way that uh that way paul did he never ever he he only he recognized that there was one church one body of christ separated only by geography yeah the church which is in thessalonica the church that is in asia minor the church that is in galatia the church that it's like we're all one church but you are the ones who are here and those are the ones who are there and we're all one body and we're all one family and we're all one church we're just separated by distance by physical distance that's the only difference that's the only the only separation that's the only division any other division is flesh where do schisms and divisions come from among you is it not from sin within your members but we are so busy identifying ourselves with this but i do want to mention one thing have you noticed the compound because i mentioned uh, god gave some apostles prophets evangelists yeah. you noticed how the combo platter deals 
I'm a I'm a prophet evangelist. Yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm an I'm evangelist a, I'm, who's also I'm a teacher. A, I'm an apostle teacher. I'm a I'm a you know I'm a pastor prophet. And and it's like you know what? You're confused. Yeah. You you're confused. You're you no, know, no, 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 no. Read the word. God's mm-hmm. gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teach. Yeah. Now God may put you in a position that is not your call in order to cultivate and teach you certain things yeah. on your journey. But it's funny how, and, and it became a thing because what you have is people who don't want to appear less to their Congregation. congregations than the visiting minister or to somebody yeah. else in the organization. It's like, please, can we get beyond the nonsense? Uh, it, it's one of those things. It's like, you don't know who you are. They don't. And, and you, or you don't their... have any confidence in who you are, any faith in whom God has called you to be. And until they get that relationship with Christ, they won't ever fully understand that. You know what? The truth of the matter is, when you're in Christ, you know who you are, but you don't necessarily need anybody to acknowledge it. No, it's a level of content that can only be reached that way. That's why there's a hang up between uh, there's a lot of ministers that are very hung up on being called by the ministerial titles. Yeah. I remember about 40 years ago, we went to a church in uh, Rossville, Georgia, and uh, the pastor's name was Cecil. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and... He was a powerful minister, and we, and I remember that you know there'd be like after the services, three hours would feel like thirty minutes. Yeah. We'd go all out to eat at some restaurant that was open real late, and there'd be like a dozen to two dozen of us, maybe mm-hmm. at least a dozen of us at a table, and everybody was just having a good time, and there was no big eyes and little use, yeah. and it wasn't about you know y'all, positions. Y'all just hang out. It was it was like a fathering a family gathering. It might as well have been Thanksgiving. Yeah. And so you have that in enters and that's how it should be. And but there was a thing where one of the things that crept in was some people got the notion it's like, no, everybody needs to refer to him as pastor. Yeah. And and, and everybody has to be brother this and sister that. And it's all about labels. Yeah. Now the truth of the matter is, if we're truly brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, people are going to figure that out. Exactly. Uh, I you like don't call your real re- relative, like siblings, like sister, whatever, brother, whatever. You just call them by their name. That's what your grandmother said to somebody who asked her about it. It's like, well, why don't you call him Pastor Cecil or Brother Cecil? It's like, I have a brother. Yeah. His name is Larry. And he... Never, I don't call him brother. And Larry. he doesn't call, you know, he doesn't, you know, I don't call him brother Larry. And yeah. He doesn't call me sister Dixie because one, we're brother and sister. We know that. Yeah. And anybody who's around us any length of time we'll is going to figure it out. Um, that's the, you know, and, and it's, it's like, and a lot of these people that are hung up on being called by that title. Yeah. It's like, if you have to call, now I understand that there is a, a, a protocol is sometimes in a public deal where you need to identify who the pastor is yeah, or the evangelist spe- or whatever. Those are special but that's circumstances. Th- those are about introductions. Yeah. That's those different. are about identifications like, you know, uh, and, and so 
you know, pastor. That'd be like if you're introducing someone on onto the platform, be like this is exactly. pastor or something. You just finished the announcements. Pastor will now come and yeah, and, and do that's this. Different. That's understand. But in common, just commonplace talking, you don't have to be like pastor so and so. I've just paid a bill. You know, you don't have to. See, you don't have to be super. <laughs> indeed. Yeah, it's in, in, crazy. Indeed. Or if you run into them at the grocery store. Evangelist Bob, do you think that the salad looks particularly good at the food bar today? You know, it's like, come on. Well, brother, I do declare. You know, it's just It's nonsensical. It is. But it goes to show you how. Even in the church, they struggle with identity. We struggle with identity. We struggle with who we are and what we're called to do. But when we understand, you know, if you want to know what we're called to do, read Mark 16. Yeah. You know, and, and, and figure, and, and it's pretty easy to figure out. We cast out devils. We heal the sick. We preach the gospel. Yeah. You know, we, we do all of these things that we do. Uh, and this is what we're called to do. This is our purpose. Um, we have the mandate that Adam and Eve had before they fell. Yeah. And we're to do that. That never went away. God no. never. He never said, it. "We'll just write that out." Right, and it's not. And and then we have the spiritual mandate to do the same thing. Yeah. And when we realize that we have become children of God, sons and daughters of God, and kings and priests, I mean, most of the relationship issues we have is because we really don't know who we are. It's like with men and women. One of the things that I tell people, you know, men are very hung up because we have that failure mentality. That's why there's this men's authority over women thing that a lot of chauvinist piglets have. And it's like, you know, I'm the boss. I'm the man. And it's like, you know what? No woman has a problem in submitting to the authority of a man who would die for her. Exactly. But as long as she figures you're a son of Adam instead of a son of God, you're going to have a major problem because she's going to have a major problem with it. Because she can't trust you. Because she can't trust you. And my thing is God has called us to be kings and priests, even as husbands. And it's like until you pray like a priest, don't act like a king. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, like, seriously, uh, don't go around barking orders until you are down there. And you are weeping and you, you know, how many times do you go before God's throne and pray for that woman? How often does she see you praying for your children? Exactly. Yeah. You want to, you want to, you you want that identity. You better walk in. You better like, you got to earn priesthood. You have to earn it. Yeah. You can't just say it because Jesus had to be priest before he could be king. Exactly. He did it for three and a half years. Figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and he went through a rough coronation. Indeed. Indeed. But again, when he proved he was willing to die, and that was the thing. He got a bride that he was willing to die for. Exactly. And that's where we need to realize where our true identity is. Not in all of these things, not in cultural identities, not in all these other things. We but can in look Christ. at these things. Yeah. It, you know, the I like the way the scripture reads, examine all things, hold on to those things that are good. Through the mind of Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit in, in accordance with the word, we need to examine all things in our cultures, in our societies, 
in our families, in everything we do, and filter out that which is not pleasing to God as opposed to that which is pleasing to God. These are the things we need to walk in. And when we allow God to define who we are, at that point it is very liberating because we are liberated from everybody's expectations of us except one. There's freedom in that. There is freedom in that. We need to stop carrying the burden of what everybody else labels us or expects of us or how everybody else defines us. Roll that burden onto the Lord. He already carried it. It was part of what he carried on his cross. Let him have it and be who God called you to be. That's what the that's where we find our true identity. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you want to stay up to date on all things regarding the show, please follow our Instagram page at Voice in the Wilderness underscore podcast or check out our Facebook page at Voice in the Wilderness. We also have a YouTube channel called Voice in the Wilderness. So please subscribe to it. Follow me on all the social media. If you're listening to this on a streaming service that allows you to follow me, please do that. If you're listening to this and they allow reviews or something like that, please leave me a review. Every little bit helps. Thank you so much for all your